0: From the New Media Project at the NYU School of Medicine and the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, Dropping the Lens.
1: The population at greatest risk for retinal detachment was the youngest patients, or the younger patients, I should say, and also the patients where there was a delay uh, in vitrectomy.
0: First this. The Accreditation Council for Continuing Medical Education requires a financial interest disclosure before any CME activity. Dr. Hunyer declares no real or apparent conflicts of interest. No single department of ophthalmology has the best lectures in every field. Open Ophthalmology is a meta-school in which lecturers from different departments have access to ophthalmology residents everywhere. I've seeded this marketplace of ideas with my own course on clinical optics. Who's your department's best lecturer? Let me know and come visit us at openophthalmology.com. Open ophthalmology. Let a hundred flowers bloom. I know it's never happened to you personally, but perhaps you have a friend who has dropped pieces of the lens nucleus into the vitreous during cataract extraction. What did your friend do? Certainly, there is the impetus to remove nuclear fragments if for no other reason than to bring closure to the case. But what happens if we do wait? What portends poor visual acuity? Alex Hunyer of the University of Sydney has studied just this, and I'm delighted to welcome him to a scene from here today. How common is dislocation of lens fragments into the vitreous during cataract surgery?
1: Well, it's fortunately a relatively uh, uncommon to rare complication. Um, the, uh, as you know from what's in the, in the literature, it's between sort of 0.1% and 1.5% of cases. Uh, and that's not something that we specifically sought to examine in this study because we have a very broad uh, referral base. And so we couldn't really capture the actual number of, of cataract operations as the, as the denominator for the, for the 223 patients that we had in the, in the study. But it's, uh, it's, it's safe to say that in most people's hands, it's a pretty rare complication.
0: What are the common sequelae of this complication?
1: Well, the main main indications for for removing lens material uh, include uh, increased intraocular inflammation, uh, opacities in the vitreous interfering with vision uh, and increased intraocular pressure. Uh, They're the the main reasons. Um, and, And obviously it depends a little on the... On the individual patient, some patients will tolerate some lens material in the vitreous well and can be managed conservatively, whereas other, other patients don't. And, and most patients who have a significant piece of the nucleus of the lens as opposed to just some cortical material uh, will, will end up requiring a vitrectomy.
0: To follow on that point, do all patients need vitrectomies?
1: No, I think that w- we obviously see a, a bias selection of patients in that we see the patients that the referring cataract surgeon feels uh, you know will will not uh, cope with conservative management, so it 's hard to estimate the number of those. Patients who are around, um, so we would tend to see people where, uh, for instance, intraocular pressure doesn't respond to topical treatment, uh, inflammation in the eye doesn't respond to topical treatment, um, or they uh, they basically uh, feel that, that pretty early in the piece that following uh, complicated cataract surgery that there's a large piece of retained lens material and that that patient's going to do poorly with with conservative treatment. But I'm sure that there are a number of patients out there uh, who have who have small amounts of lens material who are managed conservatively, and we we just tend not to see those in our practice.
0: Particularly the cortical fragments.
1: That's that, that's right, yeah. And, and as I said, there, there's a lot of individual variation in that. I've seen some patients with what it seemed to be quite a substantial amount of uh, epinuclear or cortical material uh, who have been able to be managed conservatively, whereas other people um, will have a very small, what appears to be a very small amount of lens material in the eye, and they'll get quite a marked pressure rise or quite a marked inflammatory response, and they will come to requiring a vitrectomy.
0: Let me ask you to describe the design of your study.
1: Well, it was a, it was a retrospective study uh, over a period of, uh, of just over five years, and we essentially looked through a database of all patients who had lensectomy, vitrectomy, um, and we were we were looking to to have patients who had had uh, pretty much sort of routine uh, cataract surgery. So there were uh, a few exclusions of uh, of some patients, and obviously patients in whom we had. Uh, insufficient follow-up and we came to a a total number of of, uh, 223 patients. So there there was a small number of patients who were managed uh, conservatively who didn't come to vitrectomy and they were excluded. and uh, the, the, there were also patients who uh, had been coded who for instance had a dislocated intraocular lens but didn't have any crystalline lens material uh, in the vitreous and they were, they were also excluded and we, we looked to get uh, long term follow up for, uh, for that cohort of patients and the main things that we were looking at were the visual acuity results uh, you know, compared with the literature because obviously it's not a, a randomised study, it's a retrospective study uh, and also to look at what were the reasons that that people did have poorer-than-expected postoperative acuity uh, and the incidence of complications, particularly retinal detachment and cystoid edema.
0: These were the main outcome measures?
1: That's that's right.
0: Can I get you to talk about the secondary outcome measures? I, I know that you mentioned intraocular pressure.
1: Yeah. So, that, so that, yeah, the so the yeah the primary outcome measures were were assessment of patients with poor vision and patients who either had or didn't have retinal detachment. And the secondary outcome measures were raised intraocular pressure uh, or patients requiring you know continuing glaucoma medication to keep a normal pressure, um, and also cystoid macular edema. And that was based obviously on the the findings of previous studies looking at at what are the common complications and what are the common causes for for suboptimal vision. And Obviously, there's also that group of patients who have pre-existing or unrelated pathology, particularly things like macular degeneration, and that does does influence the results as well.
0: Can I get you to comment on the vitrectomy technique that you used? Mm-hmm.
1: Well, the, uh, all, all patients had a, a standard three-port uh, parse planar vitrectomy. Uh, the study was, was carried out uh, in a time when we were using uh, only 20-gauge vitrectomy uh, as a routine, uh, and as you know, smaller gauge vitrectomy now can be done for some of these cases, although at this stage there is not a, a small gauge a fragmentome instrument, so that would involve enlarging at least one sclerotomy to 20 gauge. So they all had a, a standard three port pars planar 20 gauge vitrectomy. Essentially, the, the surgical technique was not prospectively standardized, but the, the sort of common features of the, of the surgical technique amongst the surgeons participating um, was that we used a, a contact wide angle viewing system. System uh, that as complete a vitrectomy uh, was performed as possible prior to the use of the fragmentome, and in particular, if the patient did not have a pre-existing posterior vitreous detachment, then a posterior vitreous detachment was induced surgically, and then the vitreous was trimmed out to the vitreous base uh, before the use of the uh, of the fragmentome. Um, as you know, if there is is vitreous still uh, still there uh, around the lens material, uh, then that can uh, that can be uh, interfere with not only the the operation of the fragmentome but also can potentially be a cause of intraoperative retinal tears and detachment so that was particular attention was paid to that and basically the uh, softer pieces, the small pieces of lens material were removed with the vitreous cutter so that's mostly cortical and epinuclea and then the denser material such as the nucleus was removed with the fragmentome. Uh, And then following the removal of the lens material, which often involved scleral depression, particularly inferiorly, where uh, some of the material would uh, tend to settle in the vitreous base, Uh, then the peripheral retina was uh, carefully inspected 360 degrees with scleral depression. Um, Any any pathology was was treated, again, particularly looking for, for retinal tears. And a significant number of patients actually had uh, retinal tears or detachment that were present uh, preoperatively or diagnosed uh, intraoperatively, uh, in addition to that uh, other group of patients who developed uh, post-op detachments. Uh, and then after treatment of any pathology and if necessary, uh, fluid air or fluid gas exchange, uh, then the, um, the eye was closed. Uh, And I I should add that at the beginning of the case, often the first thing that was necessary was to inspect the uh, wound from the cataract surgery and, if necessary, reinforce it with sutures. Uh, Often, if the the surgery had been complicated and the wound had been enlarged uh, and it hadn't been sutured, then sometimes it was necessary to do that just to make sure there was no problem with wound leakage during the vitrectomy.
0: Alex, what were your findings? What were your results?
1: Well the, um, the, main, the main findings were first of all in terms of the, the overall visual results um, which we were, uh, we were looking at sort of our experience compared with that in the literature. We had 71% of patients who had a final best corrected uh, vision of 612 or 2040 or better and that was including all patients. And then if we, uh, if we excluded uh, patients who, in whom we had a short follow-up, so less than three months, Um, where obviously patients are often sometimes continuing to improve their vision uh, and also patients with uh, pre-existing pathology such as macular pathology, uh, then we ended up with almost 80% of patients uh, getting 6, 12 or better vision. Um, The retinal detachment rate uh, in the series was 9% overall, so there were 20 cases of retinal detachment. And as I mentioned before, 11 of those cases, the retinal detachment was present uh, prior to the time of, uh, of vitrectomy and nine of them occurred uh, following the vitrectomy. Uh, and that was particularly associated with uh, delayed surgery. So when there was a delay in the patient being referred for vitreoretinal surgery, particularly the greater than 30 days group, uh, and also with patients of a, of a younger age. In terms of the the other secondary outcome measures, so uh, raised intraocular pressure and the occurrence of cystoid macular edema, uh, if we took patients who didn't have glaucoma prior to uh, the the complication of their cataract surgery, then there was a 5% rate of them still requiring uh, drops to keep their intraocular pressure normal. And then the the other major thing, which is cystoid macular edema, uh, was found in 23% of patients. And while that's not a major cause of very poor post-operative vision, so 2200 or worse, it is a very significant cause of patients having uh, vision between between 612 and 660, so between 2040 and 2200. Um, and, uh, and obviously, we're dealing here with a population of, uh, of cataract patients who have, you know, expectedly, uh, understandably high expectations uh, in terms of the visual results. Uh, and so that's a... A major, uh, a major problem uh, is, is chronic cystoid macular edema in this group of patients.
0: Now, let me break down some of what you said. Mm-hmm. For those patients whose visual acuity was poor after surgery, what etiologies were responsible?
1: Well, the 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 main the main problems, are if you if you take patients who've got. Uh, poor vision, uh, you know, very poor vision. So worse than uh, worse than 660. Uh, that you can basically divide that into patients who've got pre-existing pathology and patients who've got new pathology. So the pre-existing pathology were the sorts of things that you would uh, expect in patients of this age. So age-related macular degeneration uh, and retinal vascular disease. And then in terms of the the new pathology. Um, several patients with retinal detachment who ended up with uh, with poor vision. They had macular off retinal detachments and poor and poor final vision. Uh, three patients who had intraocular inflammation or endophthalmitis. Uh, a couple of patients who did have very severe chronic cystoid edema, and then a few other. Uh, sort of miscellaneous things. One patient who had a suprachoroidal hemorrhage, one patient who had optic atrophy and another that had a a central vein occlusion. And that's the the patients with very poor vision. Then there's that uh, intermediate group of patients whose vision was Uh, between 612 and 660 and again there were a significant number, about a third of of that group um, had uh, pre-existing pathology, uh, so macular uh, conditions and diabetic retinopathy Um, and then there were um, were other sundry sort of conditions and in the new pathology uh, the major causes there were uh, cystoid edema and retinal detachment. Um, So they were the major major causes of uh, of poorer-than-expected visual outcomes.
0: You mentioned this, but just to highlight this point, what subpopulation was at greatest risk for retinal detachment?
1: The the population at greatest risk for retinal detachment was the youngest patients, or the younger patients, I should say, uh, and uh, and also the patients where there was a delay uh, in vitrectomy now we didn 't find any any difference uh, in the first few weeks uh, after the complication in terms of uh, the vitrectomy being being deferred for some time. but once the interval was over thirty days, there was a significant association with an increased incidence of retinal detachment, and then in that other group, the the group of younger patients. Um, that that 's a that 's a significant uh, finding uh, and and sort of mirrors the findings of some other studies recently looking at patients who have Uh, uncomplicated cataract surgery where they're finding that younger patients, particularly the under 50s, are at an increased risk of retinal detachment and that would at least be partly related to the fact that those people are much less likely to have a pre-existing posterior vitreous detachment um, and so that if they then develop a posterior vitreous detachment later on, um, they're at an increased uh, risk of, of getting a retinal detachment, whereas the older people who already have a, a pre-existing PVD, are at a lower risk of developing a retinal detachment.
0: For those patients who suffered postoperative retinal detachments, how far postoperatively did the retinal detachments occur?
1: Well, it was it was quite variable. Um, as, as I said, uh, about half of the uh, the patients uh, actually had their retinal detachment diagnosed before or during the vitrectomy, uh, and the other nine patients were diagnosed post-operatively, uh, and that was uh, that was anywhere from a a fairly short interval uh, following the. Um, the vitrectomy surgery all the way up to five years in the case of one patient. Um, so there's a uh, there's a fairly a fairly sort of long, long time after which, a, as with after any vitrectomy, there can be an incidence of delayed retinal detachment.
0: For those patients who had dropped lens fragments during cataract surgery, some of them uh, had lenses implanted. Some of them wound up being pseudophagic postoperatively, and some of them were mm-hmm. left aphagic did either group do better or, or worse than the other group?
1: No, we, we didn't find that um, that there was any difference in the uh, in the groups uh, as to whether or not they were pseudophagic or aphagic by the time they came to have their vitrectomy. Uh, there have been some early studies that that showed that um, patients who had an IOL placed at the time of their original cataract surgery did better than the ones that were uh, left aphagic. Um, and and also results to the contrary have been found, and uh, and that's perhaps just a reflection of the uh, of the degree of uh, the sort of complexity of the original surgery. But our general advice to cataract surgeons, and we we you know not infrequently do get calls literally from the from the OR at the time that the lens material has uh, has disappeared, uh, is that uh, is that if they feel that there's adequate uh, capsular support and that it's safe to insert a posterior chamber intraocular lens into the saccus, then that's fine. Um, and similarly if they feel that the capsular support won't be adequate and that an anterior chamber lens is preferable uh, that's not a problem for that to be inserted either uh, but similarly the, the study results don't show any difference so if people prefer to leave the patient aphakic and to have the lens inserted at the time of a trectomy, uh, then that can also be done so it's, it's an individual uh, preference.
0: How do your data compare with those of prior studies that have looked at this question?
1: Look, I, I think they're pretty comparable to to the uh, the other larger uh, studies that have been done. As you know, there are a number of uh, of papers on this topic. There is one uh, larger series, which is the one out of uh, Bascom Palmer, with just over three hundred. Uh, cases over a uh, over a 10 year um, study period, and uh, I, I think that the the in terms of the major outcomes, so the visual acuity 2040 or better, the incidence of retinal detachment, etc., are are fairly comparable. Um, and I suppose what it what it highlights, and it was also mentioned in the in the accompanying editorial by Dr. Stewart, that uh, although Um, it's encouraging that we get uh, quite good visual results in a a large number of patients. There are still uh, some some issues and some causes of unsatisfactory vision and in particular the incidence of retinal detachment which uh, which is is still pretty significant to have a detachment rate of almost 10% in, uh, in patients having this complication.
0: What is the consensus about the delay after cataract surgery, uh, waiting after cataract surgery to perform the vitrectomy?
1: Well, I, th- I think consensus is hard to uh, is hard to achieve on this. I think that there there's enough literature that suggests that a a short delay, uh, so in, in terms of days to weeks, is not going to to compromise the patient's outcome. Um, so generally, there there are a couple of, of sort of scenarios that arise. One of them is that, uh, as you can see from the study, occasionally. Uh, we will be asked to literally go and uh, and do a vitrectomy uh, on the table um, to to remove retained lens material, or that, that's a minority of cases. Uh, or the surgery will occur sort of within a very short time uh, period afterwards. And then there are the other patients where they're usually uh, assessed for for a, a day, a few days, or weeks, maybe by their referring catarate cataract surgeon before they're referred for consideration of vitrectomy and I think that if the patients have adequate control of their intraocular pressure and inflammation with medical treatment then there's no harm in, uh, in a short delay. Um, but having said that if it's a lengthy delay of 30 days or more then we did find an increased uh, incidence of, of retinal detachment. Um, the, um, in terms of the sort of conditions for surgery, what we tend to find is if the patients have had, particularly if it's been a fairly prolonged cataract operation, that the cornea may be quite edematous for the first few days post-operatively. And as long as the intraocular pressure is controllable, then it's generally best to wait in those patients for a few days until uh, there is a clearer view to be able to perform the, the vitrectomy.
0: Alex, is there anything else that you'd like to add?
1: The editorial touches on uh, on a few uh, points there. Uh, in particular, the the potential medico legal uh, ramifications for uh, for cataract surgeons, and I think that um, it's uh, it's something that um, is. Is an accepted complication of cataract surgery, and uh, I don't think that it uh, it constitutes uh, malpractice. He he sort of uh, alludes to the fact that uh, that people somehow sometimes perceive it that way. I think that uh, if this is a complication, that if it's managed uh, well. Um, most patients will still have a, a satisfactory uh, visual result, and hopefully it will be possible to, to minimise the possibility of any, of any litigation. Uh, people often do ask about uh, you know little papers that are published from time to time about techniques uh, encouraging anterior segment surgeons to uh, put instruments through the pars planar uh, and uh, do all kinds of manoeuvres to try to retrieve lens fragments from the vitreous. Uh, I think that that has uh, has largely been shown to be a a bad idea and while it may work uh, well uh, in the hands of selected surgeons I think it's generally something that we try to avoid having our residents do when they're learning cataract surgery um, because it's likely to be associated with an increased incidence of posterior segment complications and I think that if you're dealing with a group of patients where there's concern about possible medical legal consequences then uh, one thing that one would not want to do would be uh, performing surgical maneuvers that you're not normally familiar with or or, uh, or comfortable with um, and so I think that prompt referral for betrayal management is the is the key there and that's again that's highlighted in the in the editorial um, the, the other thing that he touches on which which relates to the um, the very early uh, intervention in that, uh, that group where we had that small subgroup of 38 patients who went, underwent vitrectomy either on day 0 or 1 uh, and none of those patients had a detachment, um, we were very cautious in not wanting to draw any conclusions about that uh, that small group because it's a, a retrospective study. Uh, and this is a small a small number of patients. And uh, as he highlights in the editorial, the, the main problem with suggesting that that might be uh, the way to go with managing these patients uh, is, first of all, that a lot of patients are having cataract surgery in facilities that don't have vitreoretinal retinal uh, instrumentation. Um, and also, you would be talking about involving someone in the care of a patient who doesn't already have uh, any kind of relationship with them and there are obviously concerns about that um, and the results from performing two surgeries are, are good enough that it's, uh, it's more prudent to uh, have the opportunity to explain things to the patient. I think that's really, that's really critical. Uh, we see lots of patients with this complication and if they feel that everyone's been uh, frank and honest with them, particularly if they've been advised before the surgery that it's a possible complication um, and the surgeon can look them in the eye and say, well, we, we discussed that this you know, very occasionally happens and this is what's happened and here's what we'll do to fix it up. Uh, then I think that patients respond much better to that and ultimately their, their outcomes will, will usually be good. Alex
0: Hunyor, thank you so much.
1: Well, I, I appreciate it. I really admire your, uh, your energy to be uh, doing this at what's now about 10pm in New York.
0: Alex Hunyer is clinical senior lecturer in the Retina Therapeutics Research Unit at the University of Sydney and vitreoretinal surgeon in the Retina Unit at Sydney Eye Hospital. His paper, PARS Plain of Vitrectomy for the Management of Retained Lens Material After Cataract Surgery, appears in the September 2007 issue of the American Journal of Ophthalmology. Ask questions of Dr. Honior or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Call our listener response lines in the United States dial area code 646-808-0231. In the United Kingdom dial 20 8275 or Skype or Skype. MD. Those numbers can be found on our website as seenfromhere.com. As Seen From Here is a production of the new media project of the NYU School of Medicine and the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.